Hey Queen! Welcome to another episode of Is This Movie, You Know, where we talk about movies that are significant to the LGBTQIA community and view them through a gay lens. Then we discuss whether or not the movie is, you know, gay. I'm Fernando. I'm Josh. And we are your gay co-hosts. As always, make sure that you're following us on social media. We are at isthismovieyouknow.pod on Instagram and isthismovieyouknow on Facebook. You can also email us at isthismovieyouknow at gmail.com. You can expect the casual mention of same-sex intercourse and the occasional curse word to be dropped here and there. Like darn. Shucks. Wiener. Mitch McConnell. And fucking. So we hope you're ready. Because this podcast is about to get... I'm so excited for this week's episode. We're going to be talking about The Prom. Um, we are. We are going to be talking about that movie. Um, it just came out on Netflix on, what day was it? I believe it was um, December, December 11th. 11th. Yes, it came yeah. out on December 11th, 2020. It's really interesting how Netflix, you know, came out with the, with the queer content on the second half of the year. They really did. They really did. A lot of it is um, thanks to Ryan Murphy, who, as Ugh. as you may know, has an overall deal with Netflix to make projects for them. Right. Um, the Prom is a 2020 musical comedy film directed by Ryan Murphy. It was adapted for the screen by Chad Beglin and Bob Martin, based on the 2018 Tony-nominated Broadway musical from Chad Beglin. Tony nominated? What was it nominated for? It was nominated for all the awards. It was nominated like across the board for best best musical, best direction, best book, best actress twice, best actor in a musical. It it got a whole slew of nominations. And the music was done by Matthew Sklar. Um so that's a that's a pretty quick adaptation, right? You know, like it came out in 2018 and now it's 2020 and there's a movie of it on Netflix. Right. The musical itself was um, inspired by an actual uh, prom controversy. In 2010, there was a senior at a high school in Fulton, Mississippi. She had plans to bring her girlfriend to the senior prom and wore a tuxedo. And the school board banned her from going to the prom. Uh, she challenged the board's decision and the board decided to cancel the, the school's prom entirely. Um, so she partnered with the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, um, that takes on cases that affect civil rights. Um, so she sued her school district, um, and the federal court found the school uh, guilty of violating um, the girl's First Amendment rights. Um, however, um, the judge did not force the school, um, the school district to reinstate the prom, and she was actually, she was sent to a fake prom attended by only seven students. Two of them um, had learning disabilities. And the real prom was organized, like organized by the parents, was held at a secret location. So that's pretty fucked up. It's um, very fucked up. And that's... And celebrities such as Lance Bass, <laughs> we're using that term loosely, um, <laughs> rallied together, you know, in social media in support of her. Um, and sponsored a second chance prom where she and the girlfriend um, were able to attend. So that was taken by the producers and the creators and whatever, um, and was the basis for the prom, which is, you know, pretty much like a retelling of, it's 
basically the same story, really. Um, um, basically, although, you know, it, it doesn't directly reference um, the, the Mississippi girl in question. It is a fictionalized account, but um, it also, um, instead of Lance Bass, it's these four washed-up Broadway actors who decide that they need to get some good publicity by traveling to was... um, Indiana. <laughs> If I was Lance Bass, I would feel so so what? offended. It's like like because there's so, like washed up celebrities, you know. What well, are they trying to say about that? Well, yeah, but I but I think that makes for a more compelling story than just like a decent hearted C lister, you, uh, you know. Because I think what makes it interesting is that there's like a reason for these Broadway actors to be going there, and because they're so fucking vain. And over the course of the movie, they learn. That you know, this is actually a good thing that they're doing. We're gonna get into that, people. but but I, in my opinion, think it would have been it would have made more sense. Would have been better because the washed up celebrities never get attention from the charities you know that they're supporting. It would make more sense if like an Angelina Jolie type was like, you know what, like let's go to this town to get some good publicity. But then there's, um, like, nothing in it for them. The stakes aren't there. Whereas the stakes are so high for these Broadway actors, they need to get this publicity, you know? Right. Like, for someone um, like Angelina Jolie, she could fail at her mission in Indiana for this high school prom, and she would be totally all right. I guess so. Um, so, basically, um, don't watch the movie, but if you did watch ah! the movie, you can follow along. The, the musical... Um, the Eleanor Roosevelt story opens on Broadway, and it's starred by um, lead cast members Dee Dee Allen and Barry Glickman, um, portrayed by um, Meryl Streep and James Gordon, and the musical is bashed by the New York Times. The show closes. So, like, then they find this um, washed-up cast member from Chicago um, called, uh, I forget, oh, Angie. See, like, I can't even remember her name. <laughs> called Angie, and... Um, this performer who quit his job, Trent. They are all like, you know what, we should get good publicity and go to this prom in Indiana. Which doesn't really make sense for the other two. Well, they aren't like the lead characters, per se, but they also right, have something why are to they gain. Going... I think they also want want the publicity. But but I mean, I think for Angie, too, it's it's a matter of... I think Angie, out of all of them, wants to help. Angie's played by Nicole Kidman, um, Trent is played by Andrew Rannells. You know what doesn't make sense, though, is that I, you know, for the looks of it, Meryl Streep's character, Dee Dee, she's supposed to be Patti LuPone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and because Patti LuPone's persona is that she is self-centered and, and, you know, difficult to work with, and, you know, it's all about her. And people love her for it. You know, like, that's why it doesn't really make sense to why someone would criticize that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, Patti Lapone also has the chops to pull it off, uh, you know? And she, she doesn't let her persona get in the way of, well, maybe she does let it get in the way of her work. But at least in what the audience sees, <laughs> at least in what the audience yes, sees, but... she gives great performances. Yes, but Meryl Streep has two Tonys, so it's unbelievable... To Meryl Streep has you no know, her characters. No, but I'm saying Dee Dee. She oh, has, Dee Dee she has, has two, two Tonys. Tonys. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense to why she would have no talent to pull it off because it's established that in the universe of the prom, she does have the talent. 
Well, part of it is Eleanor, too. I mean, just her whole attitude towards Eleanor is like, oh, this is an unknown story that, that we want to share with the world. And, like, we don't have much information on when she won those Tonys, either. You know, they could have been early on in her career. And, 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 you know, um, what's his face? Barry. Yes, that's his name. It's very much um, Nathan Lane. Yeah. So Nathan Lane is also, like, really talented. So it doesn't really make sense, you know to why anyway both of us saw the musical when it was on broadway right we did we did which is honestly kind of kind of unique um considering that it was open for so little i know Um, it only lasted from october 2018 to august 2019 Mm -hmm. um not even a year despite good reviews and tony nominations it's interesting that a musical that only lasted a little while on Broadway made such a large impact to the point where Ryan Murphy was like, okay, let's make this a movie. Well, I don't think it made an impact. I think that in general, queer people are just so starved of content. And this is very much the saccharine shit that Ryan Murphy would be very into with minimal effort. Um, Wow. You know. Wow. It's true though. It's true, like, wouldn't you say that we were so starved off of content? Like, that's the other thing. I think that the PR department was amazing for this, considering that every single gay person, like, saw this musical and, like, posted about it. I remember even that Chastin Buttigieg, um, Pete Buttigieg's husband, who is um, very famously the mayor of Indiana, where, you know, the state where where the show takes place, while the husband was campaigning and like it was like a, a really good stretch of his um, presidential campaign, Chaston went to see the prom as, as like a part of like a, a, a fundraiser event. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like I'm telling you, they really, 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 really push for it. The problem is that number one, it's not very good. Um, number two, in my disagree. opinion, it has. In my opinion, it has very problematic themes that we're going to discuss. Uh, And number three is that it's mainly directed at, um, I would say, teenagers. um, And teenagers don't buy Broadway tickets. That's why shows are either very junior, like for children, like Spongebob and Lion King, or, you know, like have very adult themes. Like, I really, you know, it's very, it doesn't really go that well. We saw it with um, Be More Chill or, like, the Percy Jackson musical. Um, but teenagers love good Broadway shows. I mean... They do. Legally they do, Blonde, saying, Rent, Les Mis, Hamilton. They're all really popular I would, I would. Yeah, but I would agree that, you know, those shows can stand without the teenager crowd. Correct. Um, Correct. The prom, I think it's mainly targeted at teenagers. Um, and I don't I know about I, I don't know about about that. I, I I think it's a show that everyone can love just because it's about a young girl. I don't mean I don't think it's aimed at teenagers. I mean, Tracy Turnblad in hairspray, she's also um, a teenage girl, and that had wide appeal. I think the prom has wide appeal. I think the problem with the musical and why it closed was the lack of Tony Awards. And the fact that it didn't have an all-star cast. I disagree. <laughs> well, um, let's talk about, because we've, we've talked about um, the, the Broadway stars so much, we haven't talked about the girl, Emma, who wants to bring her girlfriend to high school prom. She's played by Joellen Pellman. 
Um, very much a Nikki Blonsky move in casting an unknown as the lead here. And her girlfriend is played by um, Ariana DeBose. But that was supposed to be played by Ariana Grande. Correct. But Ariana Grande dropped out. I think Ariana DeBose is excellent. I can't imagine. She was, she was good. I can't um, imagine I didn't know she's Grande almost in this role. 30. She is. Yeah, she is. Wait, did you go to prom? I did. I went to three proms. Do you, do you, were, were they all girls? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. yeah. I never got to go to prom with a guy. Out of choice or like out of like? Um, out of choice, I guess. You know, I didn't really see prom as like a romantic sort of thing. You know, okay. it was just kind of a way to have fun with friends. Okay. And I think most people saw it that, that way. It okay. was very, very much like put on nice clothes, do a picture, and then just dance with friends. I mean, if you had a significant other, you wouldn't have seen it like that. Right, but I, but most of us didn't have significant others, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I this... also cannot see this being a controversy in New York. Like, around where you lived, like, I don't see them, like, also, like, not letting you bring, like, a guy. To bring. Oh, 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 they totally would have let me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to prom? Um, we don't, I, as you know, I grew up in Ecuador. We don't essentially have a prom. We have like a huge graduation party that our families also go to. So like, it's not really a thing to like invite someone to go with you. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't go to prom. I didn't. Yeah. Wow. I, didn't, I wasn't dating That's anyone so sad. in my school. Um, no, it was amazing. <laughs> um, our parties, because they're not part of the school's jurisdiction, my party probably ended at 3.30, 3.45. And after that, we, we took a bus um, and we went to an after party and I left at 7 a.m. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. And because um, the drinking age here, it's 18, most people could drink. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, all right. So, so yeah, I will, I will take my quote-unquote prom over yours any day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Way, way to make me feel well, bad. It's fine. <laughs> um, but moving on. Um, so this movie. You said is, that you hated this movie. I do hate I do hate this film. And I just want to put out there, I loved this movie. I've seen it three times since it came out. And I think it's one of my favorite movies of 2020. I loved every second of it. I thought it was ingeniously made the writing is fantastic it's a it's a mostly faithful adaptation to the source material i think it really captures the magic of musicals um it captures the fun theatrical mood of the broadway show that that we've been missing since broadway has been closed for so long and i was able to suspend my disbelief and recognize that you know characters can change their minds over the course of a song i find ryan murphy projects to be hit or miss but I thought his direction here was great, personally. I feel like with other Murphy projects, there's this cold emotional distance. But here, there's so much warmth. This story is just so, so heartwarming. Um, there are a lot of different like story strands and different character arcs in this movie. That's another thing. There are a lot of characters in this movie. And it's, it can be hard to balance three lead characters and making them all as deep. Um, but I feel like Ryan Murphy's directorial choices feel based in character, and I, I thought it really worked. I loved this movie. I, 
I teared up quite a few times. And having seen the show and knowing what's going to happen, still tearing up, I was shocked at how emotional I got. Well, I hated this film. <laughs> but to be fair, I also hate the show. Um, I mean, do you want to tell us why you hate the show? Yes. Yeah, so I hate the show because... Number one, for me, it's just, like, not a good show in the sense that, like, I think the songs are absolutely hideous and, like, not a single one is related to the other. You know, like, when you watch musical, all of the songs kind of, like, not that they sound alike, but they have the same kind of sound. You know, you can, you can, you understand what I'm talking about. Yes, Um, yes. Like, Wicked, you can see it, and, and not to say that that makes a good show, like, Mean Girls has that, too. And, and again, not to say that that makes a good show, because SpongeBob SquarePants, um, it's a show in which many of the songs were written by many different artists. And somehow, the chaos helps to make a very cohesive and appealing show. I love SpongeBob. However, in this, like, it's just, like, too disjointed. Like, many of the musical numbers appear to happen in reality and other musical numbers do not like appear to like you know happen in the character's like mind and like in the musical setting i think Um, that's okay i think that that makes it for you know is this happening or is this not happening is the character development happening in front of other characters or not we don't know well why does it have to it's not that it has to it's just that it makes for a very confusing film and I, I, I just think that, you know, it's nonsensical in the sense that, like, again, you don't know when, when characters are having a character development moment or are performing for the public. But why does that matter if it's diegetic or not? That's, that's another term. Diegetic I, means, yes. yeah. Do you want to explain di- diegetic or do you want me to? I'll, I'll leave it to you as a theater. <laughs> and so diegetic means that the music is coming from somewhere within the world. A performance, for example. Whereas okay. non-diegetic means that the music is not coming from within the world. It's, it depends on the source of the actual music. Right. It's not that it has to. Again, I'm just saying... It doesn't make a lot of lo- like a lot of sense. But that's a lot of but that's most film. musicals. Yes, but it it doesn't help to advance the plot in many ways here. That's just my that's just my opinion. I didn't debate you when you were you know lauding the movie. So let me tear it <laughs> apart. Um, okay, go ahead. I think the performances for the most part are really good for the the quote unquote young people. A third year old is not young. But I think many people were miscast. I think specifically, um, obviously, James Corden, and we will talk about that, but also Kerry Washington. Um, And I also think that Nicole Kidman is just, you know, she had two weeks available in her schedule, and they couldn't get Jane Krakowski, so they approached her. Um, It's... It's, you know, it just feels really random to why she is there and to why she would accept this role. Um, and also, Keegan-Michael Key, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not that it's bad casting, it just it doesn't really make sense to why you would put these people in there other than for name recognition since they can't really sing. And I think, you know, if she had accepted, just get Patti LuPone instead of Meryl Streep. I think that that would have made, you know, made it a little bit more campy than what it tried to be. 
I also think the movie in general, like the directing, I think it's atrocious. I like, I they stick to like a pink, teal, purple, um, and like mint green color scheme for the most of, of the film. So a lot of the musical numbers are happening under that lighting, which makes the the film a lot darker. Not dark in terms of tone, just like the scenes are just like dark, and and not even the musical did that. Um, so it just. It just doesn't really make sense to me to why you would do that because you would want your musical numbers to be like showcased properly. Like there's a particular scene um, when they barged into the PTA meeting for the first time, the actors do, and all the lights go down and they like do this really harsh lighting with like pink and, and teal colors and it just like doesn't, it doesn't look good. Um, it just looks like they saturated the light. It just doesn't look good. And um, the last thing that I'm going to go with is that I really do not think that this is positive representation for the queer community. I <gasps> think that it's, I don't shy away from portraying flawed queer characters. Um, I don't, you know, they exist. Josh is one of them. Ah, um, and the problem with that, I, I think... This is a problem that I had with the musical watching it to the point that, like, I saw it with someone who started tearing up and, like, my jaw dropped when this happens. I think I've talked about this before. I'm someone who's being outed, so I feel very strongly about letting people come out whenever they feel like it. And it's a plot point in this film that Emma goes to Alyssa, like, you either come out or we... Like, you come out during the prom and you tell your mom or we, like, break up because I, you know... Um, Alyssa's mom is Carrie Washington, like a raging homophobe on the head of the PTA, so she doesn't want to have the prom because of the lesbian. And I think it's totally valid to be with someone who is not out, but to put that kind of ultimatum when she knows what environment her girlfriend is living in, which is potentially not safe for her to come out in, it's very dangerous precedent to put in a movie. I, like, I really don't enjoy that. And then there's the other, and then there's the scene with the song um, Love Thy Neighbor um, sang by Andrew Reynolds' character in which he goes to a mall and sees like a lot of the classmates um, of Emma and he starts talking. It's like a very whataboutism song because they're like, oh, you hate gay people, but you have to a tattoo. You hate gay people, but your parents are divorced. You hate gay people, but you know, you are having sex before marriage. And I... While, yes, a lot of people are homophobic of their religion, it's obviously not, you know, bound to that. And the fact that, like, you think that you can solve homophobia with a What About Tism song, it really leaves a really bad taste in my mouth, especially because it's only seven people that are part of that musical number, and then suddenly everyone in her school, like, accepts her. Um, I think that just, like, saying that the power of song and the power of love cures homophobia when homophobia is, like, a real thing. And we can see here that in the in the real case, um, you know, like, people really wear that shit to, like, this lesbian woman. Um, Girl. I, I, I'm talking. Um, and I, I just think that that's, like, a really weird way to solve that you know, conflict of the film. And I think it would have been more powerful to remark that gay, you know, homophobes are still gonna live, you know? I live in New York City and I've had people that I've been with, like, people call a fag. I've been people follow me um, when I'm walking down the street. You know, like, homophobia is alive and well, and even in the most liberal places. I cannot imagine in Indiana, 
and I think would have been powerful to show that homophobes do exist. And the one thing that I applauded from the original musical is that Kerry Washington's character, the mom, Alyssa, she comes out to her, and the mom is like, you know what, we're going to talk about this at home. And then the mom leaves, and, like, that's the end of it. And, like, that's, you know, the many case, like the case for, like, many queer people. They don't get an absolute resolution with their parents, and their parents are never going to be 100% okay with. And then here, they feel the need to give a redemption arc to Kerry Washington, apologizing to her daughter and saying that she'll always love her. And then it's just a movie that it's looking to tie off its loose ends when it doesn't need to. I think it would make a lot more narrative sense to not do those things. And at the end of the day, I just, like, I think the movie, as you say, it has a lot of characters. The movie is too long. And it also, it really does bother me. And the controversy, which happened in 2010, wasn't because she was the only queer person in the school. It was because she wanted to bring a girlfriend to prom. Right, Um, right. So it's not that people were acting like, gay people didn't exist it's it, which is what in my opinion is what happening in this movie so for all of those things i really 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 do not appreciate this film i didn't enjoy it i think the music is bad i think the acting some of the acting is questionable i think some of the themes are questionable and some of the directing is like not great so, so. Are, are you done are you done i'm done Oh my god, I'm like, I should have taken notes, because I feel like you've just given me so many things that I need to respond to. Uh, I guess um, I'll start with um, with Love Thy Neighbor, the song that Andrew Randall sings to the kids at the mall. It's a clear spoof of Godspell. They're touring with the Godspell national tour bus, and so I feel like because of that plot point, there had to be like a Godspell-type song in there. Like you said, he basically tells them that if their beliefs are based in the Bible, the most important biblical tenet is loving your neighbor. And yeah, the, the idea that you can't cherry-pick the Bible and choose what parts you want to, to believe is a logical one, but it's not going to convince homophobic people to be less homophobic. I think maybe teenagers, but not adults. Probably not adults, because homophobia is deeply, deeply rooted and using logic to change it isn't going to help people. In fact, I think, I think what is going to help people see and cure their homophobia is this idea of loss, that Barry's mother lost her son because he ran away because his parents wouldn't accept him, and the idea that Alyssa's mom could lose her. That's the scariest thing. I think those things are what sway people more but it's a catchy song and it's fun to think that a catchy song and a logical message can sway people in the context of this movie it is a musical i guess on that note uh let's go to yeah that they added um the scene with barry's mother which is really interesting because in the musical it goes unresolved um so expanding on that in the movie Getting Barry to address his formerly homophobic mother, played by Tracy Ullman, I guess, is one of the strongest and most emotional parts of the movie for it's me. It's just so random. I don't know. I really, I thought it was a very, very sweet scene. My issue with it is that James Corden doesn't deliver a sincere performance that I craved. And, and, I, and I think many people object to James Corden's casting for a variety of reasons, but for me here, it's about being able to sell the emotional sincerity of his arc. And I just 
don't think that he did it as as well as Joellen Pellman and Meryl Streep did. I thought Meryl Streep was fantastic. I think she's this is Meryl's movie, um, but Joellen Pellman has um, has the heart and the soul of the movie. I love the music in this. There are so many great songs in the show, from "Dance with You" to um, "It's Not About Me" to um, "Tonight Belongs to You." One thing's universal. Um, to the ladies improving, um, it's time to dance. There, are, there are so many songs that really capture the fun theatrical mood of the movie. I, I love the music here, and I think that it's fair to say that it doesn't sound as cohesive as, say, Rent does or um, some other musicals. But I think that's because the music is so rooted in character. Like the songs that Barry sings sound different from the songs that Emma sings. You know, Emma's songs are very much rooted in a very contemporary pop musical theater sound, whereas Barry and you Dee Dee are more classic. That about Dear Evan Hansen. You no, could argue that about Dear Evan no. Hansen, which I don't think it's a good musical, but the very of the songs have a different style depending on the character, and they all very much sound the same. Same thing with um, Wicked. Uh, I, I think to an extent, but I think stylistically. It, there, there are stylistic differences depending on who is singing. I don't think the stylistic differences are as vast in Dear Evan Hansen as they are in The Prom. I mean, you, uh, you have songs that sound like they're from, like, 1970s Jerry Herman musicals, and then you have songs that sound like they could fit in the Evan Hansen universe. So, so there are a lot of, of, of different styles that they're playing with here, and I think that they work well personally speaking. Um, I also want to push back on some of the casting. I thought Keegan-Michael Key was excellent. I think that he's um, definitely an underrated actor. I loved Key and Peele when it was on, and I love that Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele are going off and doing more things. Um, I thought Kerry Washington was, was good. I enjoyed her. I thought the casting... We'll, we'll talk about that in, uh, in Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda. But I want to go back to Alyssa because I think that the problem you have, you see it as Emma forcing Alyssa to come out of the closet. I don't see it that way. I think that Emma shows up to her prom and is absolutely heartbroken and so disgusted that everyone played this cruel trick on her. And so she calls Alyssa... And Alyssa swears that she had no idea. And Emma says, then come meet me here right now. And Alyssa says no. I think that, yeah, you, you can have partners who are in the closet. But as soon as that means that, that you are unable to get the support in a relationship that you need from that person, it becomes a problem. Emma was at her low point and she asked Alyssa just to come comfort her. And Alyssa wouldn't do that. Emma was so horribly mistreated and heartbroken. And Alyssa just kept making And Alyssa excuses. was very horribly mistreated and heartbroken. What do you mean? Why do you think it's not a valid excuse for someone who is like, I'm scared because my mother is homophobic to come out? It's not about coming out. It's about coming to you comfort just, you her. Literally, you, you literally said that that was an excuse. No, she's like using how, that an excuse how, how to not you, comfort how her, you, not to not come how out. How do you not understand? How do you not understand that being like, listen, I'm scared. I'm scared that my mother will find out about me if I go to you. I can't do this right now. How do you think that's not a valid excuse? 
it's a valid excuse, but at the same time, you know, I, I would have pause if I were in that kind of relationship. Because I think Emma needed to see that Alyssa really cared. And she didn't see that. Alyssa has a song called Alyssa Green that comes toward the end of the movie um, in which Alyssa kind of explains how hard it is to be her. And I think, yes, some of the pressure is from her mom. But I would suspect that a lot of it comes from within as well. I think there's this thing called the best little boy in the world syndrome, you know, which refers to overachieving gay men who feel like they need to compensate for being gay by being the best at everything else. I think that to some extent that is part of who Alyssa is. And we don't have, this could be a three hour podcast, but I, and I hope that you don't take offense out of this, but I truly think that you're seeing it from like an extremely privileged perspective in which I don't want to presume, but from what I know from you, it's, you know, like you probably were never scared about being homeless if you were to come out of your parents or thinking that, you know, you would be like ridiculed if anyone found out that you were gay. And I think that people who go through that, for us, even like showing affection to other people it's incredibly, incredibly hard without having like extreme paralyzing fear. And I'm seeing it's just incredibly harsh from someone who like, you know, like saw that environment um, being like, you know what, like you're just making excuses if you don't want to make yourself like emotionally available. But it's not what Emma needs right now. Or it's not what Emma wanted. For sure. But I'm telling you, it would be, it would be an, a, a great movie if the movie addressed that. You know, I've, I'm, I'm again saying it. I think that it's totally valid if an out person doesn't want to date someone who's not out because they're in a different stage of their coming out journey. That's totally valid. And I'm not discussing that. I'm seeing that the movie makes a compelling case for Emma putting that ultimatum on Alyssa and makes Alyssa look at see a responsible, uncaring one for not going to Emma's, you know, rescue. Right, but it has when, nothing to do with coming out. Been, Emma never forced Alyssa to come out. It has nothing to I do with, with coming out. You, I, I 100%, I completely disagree with, with that notion. And I think it's it might, it's a little bit more evident on the musical, um, and, but in the movie it's, it's very much clear that what Emma, because in the musical, like, there's literally, like, you, there's a scene where she tells her, like, you are. You should either be fine with going out in the world with me, or like we can't do this together. And then she's like, "Emma, no!" And then like they break up. Um, and that happens that in the looks, movie too. I again, I see that as kind of reprehensible, and I, I, I really like it takes so much away from my enjoyment of the film. I think that I really could forgive so much of the film if that part was handled well, and it isn't. So. Otherwise, there's, like, narratively speaking, there's nothing that's going to get Alyssa to come back to Emma. And they don't have, well, the movie wants to be high school musical, but it, you know, that's not the reality of queer relationships in high school many times. Right, right. Then again, it just, it doesn't address my comment that this film needs, like, craves for resolution for every single one of their characters when they don't, when they don't need it. Nar like, narratively speaking, 
Barry could have been a, a gay man who never got the closure that they got from their parents. And that's one queer experience. Um, it could have been that Emma had a great relationship with her grandma and got to be her true authentic self with her girlfriend. That's one of the experiences. And it could have been that, you know what, that Alyssa doesn't 100% get that closure from her mom. That's another queer experience. I think that the movie is so hell-bent on making everyone to have a good reaction to being queer that it forgets that, like, it doesn't need to be the case. Um, the last musical number, like, people have online, like, joked that it looks so much about you can't stop the beat um, because it's very, like, we solve racism, you know? And, and, and after, you know, uh, the Miss Hurstbury contest happened, like, there was no racism or segregation laws ever again. Like, that's kind of how it feels here in the, well. in, the, in the prom, in the prom that it's, like, once we, like, sing the song with all the characters that we needed them to be at the finale, uh, homophobia was never a thing ever again. I don't think anyone's arguing that homophobia is dead. I think it's arguing that in this small case for this small high school, that there was a victory. And it was a small victory, but it was a victory that deserved to be celebrated. That's that's how I feel about the, the movie. I also think that, you know, like, why can't we have more happy gay movies? You know, I feel like you want a, a movie that has a more authentic queer experience but i feel like there's room for so many types of queer movies and that's what the point of this podcast is is that we you have know you're right there is there's, there's room movies there's room for good movies and bad movies and oh my god falls in the latter category. oh my god um, okay but i'm but, not you can have that 100 and it can be schitt's creek in which they ask dan levy how come there was no homophobia? And he was like, I just wanted to create an environment in which this wasn't an issue. So that's why I, in Schitt's Creek, I never introduced a homophobic plot. And then there's things like this in which homophobia, it's 70% of the film, I would say. Um, it really is what drives the plot. And by the end, it's solved. So I'm saying if you introduce a very human, a very real, a very ugly side of day-to-day life, and that's what drives the plot of your film, and by the end you pretend that, you know, it's magically solved. It's not magically solved. It's just solved for this high school and for these specific people. It is completely rooted in context. In the context of this show and these characters... Yes, there is a victory here. But for all the problems that you've brought brought up, you have to admit that this is like an obnoxiously feel-good, heartwarming movie. And I know that sometimes feel-good movies come across as like manipulative, like Bohemian Rhapsody. But for me... And this. But for me, the movie sentimentality really worked because it's not treated with kid gloves. Uh, you know, it's, it's rooted in real issues that happen to queer people. Maybe not enough for your liking, but I, I, I cried numerous times, and oh my god, in that big finale scene, when all the queer kids come into the new prom with those big smiles on their faces, and the orchestration swells, how can you not tear up? I think this movie sets a record for like the most queer joy in just the last ten minutes of the movie. I think that it's such a beautiful movie, a beautiful moment, and look, I'm sorry, I, I wish that you had liked 
this movie because I had a really visceral reaction to it in a good way. And I hope that this movie shows that there is room for more queer joy in the universe and that maybe another story will come along that is like this that you'll enjoy more. Again, I just, it's not that I don't like happy queer films. I think that throughout this podcast, I have enjoyed films that are happy um, and are queer. I, I, I said that I loved, loved Simon. I said that I loved it. Um, I just think that this movie didn't earn its ending. That's it. Wow. I like really, I really feel that it's very inauthentic. And that's just me. I like doesn't have to be you. Um, and this is why we have a beautiful discourse to. But I you know. wish you did. <laughs> I just like I I I just felt so cleansed emotionally by the end of this movie, and I want everyone to feel that cleansingness. But I but I know that not everyone is going to feel that way, and that's okay. Um, and again, it's just it's very presumptuous of me to say this, but I just truly think that someone that had an easier coming out story is more compelled to enjoy this film. That's just it. I, I don't disagree with you. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. So now we can talk about um, James Corden's um, character. So the controversy is that the role of Barry was played by Brooks Ashmanskis, um, a gay man in the Broadway musical, but James Corden is not a queer person and he plays a very queer character. People have been calling it um, queer face. Yes. Um, <laughs> in which is... I, uh, I think that's a disrespectful term. <laughs> I, I kind of find it problematic, but I've also seen pink face online. Um, we have talked numerous times about, you know, the discussion to be had about straight actors playing queer characters. And I've said, I don't really mind a straight, char- a straight person playing a queer character, but I do mind a straight person playing a caricature of a queer character. Um, and I think the way James Gordon plays Barry Glickman is that, like a parody. Yeah, like he is what, the way that I put it is like, if his character would make sense in an SNL skit, that's a parody. Um, mm. And he would fit right in. Mm. And, and he like has an effeminate voice, he has the limp wrist. He wears like sparkly stuff and he's like very sassy and like bitchy. And I had this discussion with with someone uh, recently about why that's offensive. I was saying how many people around the world are still getting killed for not even for being gay, but for having a limp wrist, for having a funny way to walk, for wearing glittery shit. Um, and those harmful stereotypes that people use many times as comedy relief are harmful or narcissistic. It's if, if that's someone's truth, if that's, you know, if a gay person wears like glitter and even if a straight person talks effeminate, has a lip wrist and, 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 and loves glitter, I have no problem with that. And then again, when, what you say, what you say that like the, the, the moment with the mom seems very much unauthentic. It's because number one, James Gordon is not that good of an actor. And number <laughs> two, James Gordon is a personality that unfortunately for him he cannot disappear in a role so i see james gordon i see the late night show host who's rich and is very much straight um yeah and so i i can't i can't buy it Yeah. yeah i mean here's the thing i mean i think a lot of people yeah would have preferred to see a gay actor in this role 
But you have to remember, this show was written by gays, and Ryan Murphy, famously, is a gay person. And so he's clearly making some of these decisions. So this isn't a case of straight washing. This is a case of gay creatives saying, okay, who do we think is best for the role? And I've always been in support of gay creatives making those choices, even if they happen to be straight people, because there is the gay representation there on the creative team. However, I think they made a mistake with James Corden. They were clearly open to having queer representation in the cast. After all, um, the other three queer characters, Trent, Emma, and Alyssa, are all played by queer people. It is just James Corden as Barry who is not. So I think that, you know... It was a conscious decision. Yeah. So, so, So three out of four ain't bad. But at the same time, you know, I respect their decision and I just disagree with it. Uh, Personally, I don't understand why they wouldn't want a queer actor to play him, but this is the decisions of queer creative people, so I have to respect that. So anyway, who do you think should have played Barry in the movie? Well, I think the logical, like the most obvious answer for a lot of people is Nathan Lane, if Nathan Lane was a little bit younger. Because the character, as I kind of said, it, it's very much Nathan Lane. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that he could have pulled it off if they really wanted to cast him. But I, I have a little bit of an, uh, a little bit of an out there um, recommendation. I would say um, Guillermo Diaz, who mm-hmm. is a an American actor. He's a Cuban American actor who starred as Diego Munoz. Like he's, his nickname was Huck in the drama series Scandal. So he's good pals with Kerry Washington. He is um, in the same age range as James Corden, and it you know would have been nice to bring a little bit more diversity, which I must admit this movie has no problem with. Um, can he but, sing though? Can Meryl Streep? Yes, she can sing. This is like her fourth musical. Debatable. Um, I love Melissa's voice. <laughs> I I love the voice that the studio gave her. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, so I would have gone with Ross Matthews, Sean Hayes, <laughs> or Titus Burgess. Not Ross Matthews. <laughs> yes, well, Ross they all. They all give me washed up Broadway actor. Well, uh, so. okay, but anyway, I I think Titus is fantastic. He he should be in everything, um, and I would have loved to see him play this role. Sure. So Dahmer snub. <laughs> um, clearly, it is only January, so we don't know how this movie is going to do, but. Um, reception-wise, it's gotten mixed reviews. I mean, people seem to either love it or hate it. Um, it has 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> what else is there to say? <laughs> well, it's the, the funny thing is that I was ready to hate on this movie because I, as many others, anticipated that I this was not going to be great. And then when the, when the Rotten Tomatoes score revealed, it was around 70-something. Yeah, oh yeah, it started pretty high, like 78%. And I'm glad that the world has united to destroy a common enemy. Oh, come which on! Is the, 
the certified fresh uh, insignia um, <laughs> for this movie. Metacritic gives it a 56%, and IMDb gives it a 6.1. That's, like, not bad for IMDb, considering how sexist and homophobic they are. Right, but for Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, come on. Yeah, but what about the audience scores? I feel like this is made for the audiences, and that audiences are going to enjoy this a lot more than critics will. I think that that's what people say when the movie's bad. It's no, I, I really, no, I really think that The Prom is going to end up being one of the most popular movies of 2020, when all is said and done. Josh, it has a 67% audience score. You know that's low. Yeah, I, I said what I said. What else is it going to be, Mank? 67%, 67% for audience score is not good for what is a feel-good movie about queer teenagers. That's like, re- with Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman. That's really low. I guess so. After For a I, movie that you supposedly called Beloved. It's, it, it will be Beloved. Okay, hear me out. I think that it could snag quite a few Golden Globe nominations. I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Murphy was nominated for Best Director. Oscars, I think okay. it has no chance. I'm sorry. But I think, you know, it's, it's a, such a feel-good movie, and it's definitely going to get, like, a Screen Actors Guild nomination. You know? Um, no, but, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's a snubbed. Uh, well, I can't I think wait for you to be proven a... wrong soon. Fernando, is this movie, you know, gay? As we can tell by now, I very much did not enjoy the movie, but I will give it to them that even with the James Gordon shit, I do think that the movie does not shy away from it's topic matter. And, you know, some of my criticisms are actually positives for this section of the podcast because including the Barry, like, character arc with the mom, which is not in the original musical and giving some sort of of resolution to the Kerry Washington story, I do think that, you know, makes makes the movie more, you know, um, it, like, kind of elevates it from a run-of-the-mill teen drama that happens to have female protagonists to, like, a a little bit of a more of a queer story. I could not agree more, honestly. This movie isn't just, you know, but it's about queer joy, as I said earlier, and that's something we definitely need more of. Movies that are unafraid to be gay and don't make being gay the central issue of the film or or, or, right. or that or that aren't just about coming out you know and i think that this story is a great example of how many different gay narratives we can start telling thank you everyone for listening what are your opinions on the prom do you watch the show do you like the songs do you like the the, the acting and what do you think about josh's and i long-winded discussion that you know turned out that to be nothing um <laughs> about you know people and outing and if you think that someone who had a better coming out experience would enjoy this movie a lot more than someone who didn't watch the movie it's good no don't watch it but you know what actually do watch it if you feel if you have two and a half hours it's like two hours and 12 minutes okay it feels it feels really long um, and I don't know of anyone who's still um, high school age that listens to this podcast. Um, I don't know. But if such person exists, um, 
go to the prom with whoever you want to go to. And if controversy sparks out of it, um, call the ACLU and you might have a good musical written about you someday. Oh my god. Um, yes. Um, and now join us for Top or Bottoms. Tops and Bottoms. So what are our tops and bottoms this week? Our tops and bottoms this week. Well, it's a week of slow news. There's not a lot happening. Yeah. That um, but something did happen. Over the holidays, both HBO Max and Disney Plus had big heavy hitters debuting in their streaming services at no extra cost. Um, one of them was Soul for Disney Plus, which is a Pixar movie about this um, man who died. I haven't seen it um, up until this point. But this man who How dies. How have you not and seen has, it yet? Because I have stuff to do. Um, but he has shit happen. Um, and oh my god. And the other one was Wonder Woman 1984, which also debuted in theaters uh, internationally and in the United States if the theaters were open. And yeah, apparently both did really well. Um, however, according to Screen Rant. Um, Disney Plus uh, reported a much more significant subscriber increase than HBO Max did following the release of Soul and Wonder Woman on Christmas Day. We're not going to be talking about the qualities of each film, as I, as I would argue that these movies are not, you know. <laughs> this is big. I don't know. Because this, this, is is, this is the first time that Disney and Warner Brothers have released big budget movies like straight to streaming. I mean, Mulan. Oh, well, over the holidays, I meant, you know? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I meant. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, so so HBO Max saw 554,000. 554,000 app downloads on the weekend following the release of Wonder Woman in 1984. But Disney Plus saw over 2.3 million new app downloads since Soul's release. Um... And the numbers don't include installations on smart TV apps, though. It's important to note that HBO Max is currently only available in the United States, while Disney Plus is in many big markets worldwide. So Disney Plus automatically could have a larger footprint. It's an Ecuador. Oh my god, really? Disney Plus already has, like, (laughs) almost 90 million subscribers, whereas HBO has, like, 12. So... Also, we don't know because they don't release, like, the viewership numbers. So, like, maybe people were, like, downloading Disney Plus for the Mandalorian finale. Or maybe they were downloading HBO Max for something else, you know? (laughs) Like, how many of these people watched it after they downloaded it? Right. Also, I mean, I want to, like, highlight, gift a Disney Plus subscription for Christmas. Um, I think that that's a very, that's a much more popular gift than given HBO Max, considering that Disney Plus appears to more families. Um, true. So that's something that we have to also take into account. Yeah, um, that, that, that is true. But I'm excited. I, like I again said, I really do. I really am excited for this release strategy. I think it's going to be fun. And regardless of the quality of the film, I, I think that this was good news for both. Yeah, it's good news for both. Um, it's surprising news. For sure that Disney grew that much over the holidays, but like I miss the days of being able to know how many people saw a given movie in one weekend, you know? Those days might be, you know, long gone. The dog days are over. I mean, not long gone. I'm sure I'm well, I'm sure yeah, I'm sure we're gonna get, but 
Yeah, um, is this a, I don't know if, you know, a top or bottom. I don't know how we would classify it. I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, if this is a topic, that means that people stayed at home and, and they enjoyed the film instead of getting COVID. Right. I mean, Wonder Woman still That's made like $16 million in its first weekend, which is pretty big. It's like the Just biggest. Not much. I mean, it's not much, but it's the biggest opening since the, since the beginning of the pandemic. So more people are going to the movies. So I don't know how to feel about right. that, um, especially because it's also available on HBO Max. What are you people doing? Stay the fuck home. Aww. Except, except if you live in well, a place where it is safe. You know, you were um, you you were in Ecuador when it came out, so you were able to see it in theaters. Yes, in Ecuador. I did. I was able to see it in theaters. I was very apprehensive of going, but they explained to us the various security measures that they were taking in order to make it safe for people to go to the movies. Um, I will also say that it was a more premium service that you would get at your regular AMC at home. I want to stress that like once I get back home um, to New York City, I will not be going to the movies um, since I don't really trust not to get infected over there. Um, but... I, it's a great memory that I got to have. I like I love the movie going experience, and I personally like Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I understand that that's not the case for a lot of people, but I really much enjoy it. And I really do think, and and people can debate me on this, but I really do think that the movie would have had a lot better reactions if most people were able to see it on a big screen. Interesting. But, Interesting. Yeah. But anyways, I think it's the top um, if people are finding ways to find entertainment. And, and yeah. I think it's a top that people are watching Soul. It's a fantastic movie. I won't say too much about it, but it has made me feel better about life. <laughs> if you haven't seen those movies, go watch them and feel good. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks, everyone. Hope you get to watch some queer content uh, throughout your day to day basis, if, even if it do, do, does include porn. Oh and with God. that, I want to say goodbye. <sighs> Bye, everyone.